0: That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
1: Hey, what's up, world? This is Lauren Boquette from Lords of Ruin. You
2: are listening to Talking Metal. Turn it up loud like it's supposed to be. Hi, this is Michelangelo Badio, and you're listening to Talking Metal.
0: Yeah.
1: You're listening to the Talking Metal podcast, iTunes' number one hard rock and metal podcast,
0: with your host Mark Striegel.
3: Hey, hey, hey! It's Friday night, and you know what that means? It's another edition of Talking Metal Live. Not really, and it actually is Friday night. That part of the uh, the sentence is true. This is not live. Victor is sick tonight, and I'm just doing a solo show. But unfortunately, I don't have the technical ability to go live on my end in New Jersey unless I'm going through Victor in Spain. I know that sounds crazy, but uh, listen, I'm working on it slowly but surely and hope uh, to be able to do live broadcasts without Victor sometime soon. But right now, I'm just coming to you from... My basement, I actually have an interview booked. We were planning on doing a live show tonight. Victor is not feeling well. So I have Lauren from Lords of Ruin. He's going to be checking in with me in a bit. I have an interview that I actually recorded earlier this week with Michael Angelo Badio. And that's going to be coming up. I'm a big fan of Michael Batio. been listening to him since the Holland days. I used to go see him play with his band holland which was just an amazing band that was on atlantic records back in the day highly recommended a perfect record it was called little monsters but right now let's get into some of michael's band post holland this is uh, the band he left holland for i believe or i'm not sure exactly why or when he left holland and how soon after Holland he formed this band. But this band is called Nitro with uh, Jim Gillette on vocals. This is off their second record. This is called I Want You. just heard was i want you by nitro that song is from the early 1990s michael angelo on guitar aka michael badio as he was known in holland and now he goes by michael angelo badio guys the new rob zombie record it's really good this is called revelation revolution you just heard was a little Rob Zombie. Go buy that song on iTunes or listen to it on Spotify. Revelation Revolution. And that's off his new record, which I think is really, really strong, called Venomous Rat Regeneration Vendor. It was released in April of this year and solid stuff, solid stuff. I feel like we may have played one song off of that record already on one of the podcasts. Per John's request, uh, John, by the way, is not here either. Obviously, he is in Chicago this weekend with Ace. They were on the Mad Cow show. They Ace was on. And apparently, John did some skit with them, which is on the Mad the Mad Cow TV show. Where the hell that airs? I have no idea. But <clears throat> um, yeah, John played Getty Lee in the skit. He told me. Uh, so I don't know, again, I don't know where you see that, but, um, Ace announced, I guess, on the Mad Cow Show, I'm not 100% sure of uh, if this is the way it went down, but I believe on, while he was on that show, he announced that he has signed a a record deal, he has new material on the way, so that's pretty exciting, and I know they're doing one of those signing horror rock fests uh, festivals in, um, the Chicago land area. Actually, yeah, he told me, out in Schaumburg, Illinois, where my dad used to work when I was a kid. He worked out in Schaumburg for for a little bit. And actually, my wife went to Chicago, or a.k.a. Schaumburg, which isn't exactly Chicago. It's a suburb. It's not, I think it's a pretty good good hike from the downtown area. Uh, But my wife was in Schaumburg for a business uh, meeting earlier this year. I think that's a place where they have a lot of business meetings when, you know, they don't want to, Spend the bucks to do it right in downtown Chicago. They go to Schaumburg. So that's where John Astronomy is this weekend, a.k.a. John Ostrowski. So if you see John at any of these shows, festivals, hanging out with Ace, definitely go up and say hello. Tell him you love talking metal or you hate it or whatever. Let's keep the music rolling. We're going to hear from Michelangelo Badio in just a bit, and we also have an interview coming up with Lauren from Lords of Ruin. He's the former drown frontman and he has a band called Lords of Ruin now. They're quite good. This is Change by Seven Train. heard was the song Change by 7Train, sent in to me by Joel. Joel used to play with 24-7 Spies. He now has this great band called 7Train. So stay tuned to Talking Metal for more information on 7Train. And Joel, uh, I know the record, I believe, comes out in uh, early 2014. Keep me posted, and maybe we can get back, back on the, uh, the show, but this time in, in person or call in for an interview or something like that. What I'm trying to say, Joel, is it would be fun to interview you on the Talking Metal podcast. So touch base with me when we get uh, closer to the release date for the Seven Train record. Oh boy, this is a 16 or maybe 17 year old Dweezil Zappa. It's called Blonde Hair, Brown Nose. weasel zappa from 1986 off the having a bad day record a record that was produced by frank zappa and bob scott i bought that back in the day i'm not sure exactly why i bought it but i loved it it had like three really freaking rocking tracks off it and the whole thing i thought kicked ass and you know he's maybe a year older than me i don't know but he was always uh Maybe he's the same age, I'm not even sure. He was an inspiration, I remember, uh, knowing how good this guy was. Really gave me a kick in the ass to, to practice. Speaking of 1986, let's check in with my friend Dan Lorenzo back in 1986. This is a little Hades from 1986. heard was A Little Hades from 1986, the song The Cross, which was re-released in 1987 with Alan Tecchio on vocals on the Resisting Success record. But that version of The Chase was a singer named John Kulura. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but uh, he was in a band. He was in Hades, I guess, briefly before Alan Tecchio joined. Apparently he blew off a recording session or something, and I think it was actually the recording session they were going into for the Metal Massacre record, and, and that was the end of that. Uh, and John, that singer you just heard on that song, died a few years ago. So, very sad, and, uh, you know, he had a great voice. If you want to hear the Alan Tecchio version of that song, go listen to the Resisting Success record by Hades. And again, that song was called The Cross. Let's get into my interview right now with Michael Angelo Badio. And this track right here that you're listening to is called Pillars of Steel. It is off Michael's new record, which you definitely need to check out. Go to the Michael... Angelo Badia website which we're going to have linked through today's show notes and you can get information there on how to pick the record up. I'd imagine it's probably on iTunes by this point if not it'll be there soon Uh, and anyways this song that you're hearing Pillars of Steel features uh, the owner of Dean Guitars Elliot Dean Rubinson on bass and there's a ton of great solos. The first one is by our friend Dave Reffitt Dave actually helped uh, hook this interview up with Michelangelo the second solo is by Jeff Loomis, the third solo by Michelangelo Badio, Rusty Cooley's on there, George Lynch, a lot of great players, including uh, also Craig Goldie. So let's, keep, let's let this song play out, and we'll get right into my interview with my childhood hero, at least teenage hero, Michelangelo Badio. I used to know him as Michael Badio back in my, my Chicago days, back in the 80s. So here we go. This is Mark Striegel, and on the line we have Michael Angelo Badio, who has a new record coming out shortly called Inner Mezzo. How are you, Mike? Uh, Good. Yeah, I'm really excited about the new album. Yeah, so am I. I mean, the list of guest stars you have on it is quite impressive. Can you tell us a little bit about who's joining you on this record?
2: Well, thanks. You know, the last couple of records I've done, I, I've enlisted some of my good friends, you know, Mark Tremonti from Alterbridge and Rudy Sarzo, and, you know, I've gotten some really good names, and this new album, it's all, all original material, and, and a very good friend of mine, the guitar player, a great guitarist, Dave Ruffett, and I, you know, we're talking, and I asked a couple of my friends to be on it, uh, I talked to Rusty Cooley, and, uh, then we started talking to Jeff Loomis, and then Dave goes, well, what about George Lynch? And then we started just putting our heads together, and I created this song called Eight Pillars of Steel. Right. And it's, it's really catchy. It's heavy. It's cool. And, what, and the Eight Pillars stands for, um, we have eight different guest artists on one song, and, and, here, and I have the owner of Dean Guitars, who's a great bass player. He plays bass. Okay. And then um, the first solo starts with Dave. Uh, rough it. Then it goes into Jeff Loomis, then me, then George Lynch, then, uh, I'm sorry, then Rusty Cooley, then George Lynch, then a great Italian guitar player by the name of Andrea Martinelli, and then it ends with Craig Goldie from Dio. <laughs> wow. And that's just one song. And, and we have Michael Romeo from Symphony X as bass player, Mike Lepan We have uh, Guthrie Govan, who's an amazing guitar player uh, in his own right, uh, one of the new up-and-coming phenomenal players uh chris poland from megadeth it's just it's really uh, i'm really happy you know i think it's the best record i've ever done
3: wow cool well uh, that's a lovely
2: saying it but i work very hard on it and uh it's it's coming out really great
3: well this sounds like it's going to be a hard rock and heavy metal record and i'm sure the talking metal listeners are going to eat it up where is the best place they can get it when it's uh when it's released
2: well what you know i i've had my own label for a long time and You know, from being on Warner Brothers and Atlantic Records, and having a my early in my career, you know, being on on major labels and understanding it, I've had my own indie label for a long time. And so, when it comes out digitally, which will be fairly soon, shortly after the CD release, you can get it anywhere, any digital outlet you can possibly imagine. That's going to be available. So it's major label digital distribution, and then um, if you want a physical copy of the CD, you can get it from us. Uh, my website is Angelo dot com.
3: Cool. Now I noticed uh, you are now based back in the Chicagoland area, and maybe you've been there for for a while. But I remember, see, I I went to high school in Hinsdale, Illinois, and I used to go see you play at the at the Thirsty Whale back in those days oh. on the all oh, yeah. ages nights with your with your band Holland. And and then at one point you left Holland and you went out to L.A. And uh, what, when did you actually come back to the Chicagoland area?
2: Well, well, actually, you know, it's funny. When I was in Holland, we actually formed in L.A. I had moved to L.A. before, right after I got out of school, wow. uh, college. And, and so, and then, you know, towards the late 90s, you know, I'd lived in L.A. for a long time, and I didn't have to come back uh, to Chicago. I mean, I love my hometown of Chicago, but the, the reason I came back is, honestly, my parents were, were not in the best of health. And I was touring so much and and I didn't see my family very very much so so I bought a house in the northern chicago burbs and and so it really I've been here for for over a decade, and I like it I mean, I fly out of O'Hare it's just, for me nowadays all I need to have is an airport close that flies international, and I'm fine <laughs> so but, but I love the Chicago area.
3: Yeah, it's a great it's a great city. I'm in New Jersey now, but I have uh, fond memories of growing up in the Chicago. I'm going to be in New Jersey next month, actually. Oh, are you? Where, where are you going to be?
2: It, it's a guitar clinic. I have to look on the itinerary. But I'm doing a, a concert on November 9th for the, they call it Fallen Heroes. And, and it's a benefit for policemen. Oh, cool. Uh, you know, that, that have sacrificed their lives. But anyway, I'm... Uh, what is it? Oh, I'm looking here. Yeah, it's on November 10th. I'm going to be doing a guitar clinic after the concert's on the 9th, and then I'm doing a clinic at
3: 8th Street Music in, uh, in New Jersey. Oh, cool. Very good. Well, maybe yeah. I'll come down and uh, get to meet you in person. But that's wild that, that you were, um, you were when Holland formed, you were already living in uh, Los Angeles. So I guess well, you would, you would yes. come back to do the, the, the local land gigs then. Well, all four of us lived
2: in L.A., and we were all from chicago it was it was uh, really wild I, I really loved that band holland um we i you know I just look back and even now, I mean almost every day of my life, somebody emails me or mentions like just I, you know I wake up today and check my Facebook page, somebody says i'm listening to Lovin on time, you know one of the Holland oh, songs. yeah we really had had the goods and and you know sometimes in life it, it didn't work out the way you want but but i'm really proud of, of of that band
3: and i'm still very good friends with everybody in the band it was one of the few records you can put on and listen to all the way through and every song was just was just great um so you're still in touch with those guys you know we, i hear a lot about you because you're still out there doing your thing but I, I never hear about the the other guys in holland and uh one time i was even doing a google search on like uh Tommy Holland, and I really couldn 't come up with much what What is he up to nowadays
2: well you you know they uh, the cool thing about everybody in Holland is at one point in their life, every one of us has had two major record deals now Tom had had his first one before Holland, but I think after that, you know, he's married, um, he, you know, he's not really involved full-time in music, but he still sings. In fact, about a month ago, uh, the drummer of Holland Brad is, is sick, he, and so we did a benefit for him, and the original band got together, and it was like we'd never stopped playing. It was it was so much fun, and, and you know, Tom still can sing good. You know, he's not, maybe not quite as high as he used to sing before, but, but he's still got that Tom Holland voice, and you know the bass player and I you know we still knew our background parts we had all the endings down it was just really fun but but I I guess they're still actively involved in music but not on you know like the 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 international level like you know I'm still this is what I do yeah you know I mean I'm still out there touring and and, and you know they're not in involved in it like I am but but we're still really close and and it was it was a great time good yeah Joey Settner was the bass player right yeah Joey Settner yeah, yeah he's a you know he he's an extremely intelligent guy. I mean really, you know I, I guess if you gave him an I.Q. test, he'd probably be a genius. but he's now a boat captain, so he he, he, he try, you know he's in charge of you know big ships
3: going from Florida to the Bahamas, and you know he's loving it. That's what he loves to do. Wow. And uh, you guys just had such a magic uh, combination and, and uh, just energy on stage together. I remember that I think they continued on after you left because I seem to remember seeing them play with, with another guy uh, and it just wasn't. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't yeah
2: they had some really, you know, Tom was just super talented, the singer. I mean, he, you know, he's a great writer, great frontman, great singer. I just enjoyed it. Yeah. We, we, we just had, had a magical combination. And we all, and I think part of it is, and I think it's in anything, even with my new record, you've kind of, Gene Simmons said it best. He, he told me one time, he said, Kiss was Kiss way before we had a record deal. And he told me, he said, if you don't know who you are, nobody will know who you are. And, and I think Holland had an identity. And all both bands, even the band Nitro, we had an identity. And in my solo career, I have an identity. I know who I am. We knew who we were back then. I think that was that's a big reason why I'm still touring and and
3: doing as much in music as I as I am. Totally. And I want to talk to you a little bit about Nitro, but just going back to my youth, uh, a lot of I used to give guitar lessons back in the '80s, and maybe you had one of the reasons I couldn't hook up with you as a guitar teacher was you maybe had already left for L.A. at that point, or I seem to remember you were just always book solid, but I used to take lessons from a guy, and I'm just curious, personally, if you happen to remember him. Tom Pacora. do you remember him? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, and
2: he, mm-hmm. he was... He yeah, would... when, I, when I, I taught guitar before I was in Holland, when I was in college, that's when I taught Tom Morello. He was my student oh, from wow. Raging on the Machine. I used to teach up in Highland Park. In fact, the music store's still there, called the Music Gallery. And... Uh, but once I, once I left for L.A., that's the last time I, I taught privately. It, it, and it's not that, you know, I love, I think teaching is probably the most noble thing you can do. But for me, I made the clear line. I, I drew the line in the sand and said, now no more teaching. I got you. strictly music. You know, touring and making records, that's it.
3: And then uh, after high school, I moved to the New Jersey area, and I remember seeing Nitro. You guys played a, mm-hmm. a, a club in the the I guess it was like the Philly suburbs. And the one the one memory I have of, of Nitro, besides just how loud and amazing you guys were, is that the posters on the wall in the club had you guys uh, all kind of done up in big hair that, that you know was just massively high and the whole kind of outrageous look. And I remember Jim Gillette walking into the club because I was there when you guys were sound checking and him looking at the poster and, and uh, almost... I forget exactly what he told me but it, he, he said something to the effect that you know we made a mistake doing the the promo shoot with that look and you guys were definitely dressed down at the club you didn't have the hairspray you didn't have the the uh, the look that you had on that first uh, album do you regret going so far yeah, with actually, your actually
2: I don't know if that's exactly entirely I hate to say it like this I don't think that was what Jim meant okay um, because because when the album was called OFR Out Effing Rages, right. what we tried to do is on our on our album, um, we wanted we were the extreme. We took metal to the extreme. We didn't we didn't have one guitar; we had four. You know, we we had the highest singing, the fastest guitar playing. Our label really liked that. But what we also did was we realized too that you know we were we were like a thrash band in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, we had blast beats going on. And, and, in fact, it took Herman Lee to tell me, you know, that, that Nitro was a big influence on them. And, and I had bands like the Murder Dolls. And people tell me this because we, we didn't have those growling vocals over blast beats Jim actually sang. But it was pretty, if you look at our first video, you know, we were all glammed out. And then what we decided to do is we said, well, how much, uh, how more outrageous is it than to not even look like what we looked like? Who is Nitro? Because somebody, we had a, an article in, a big, in one of the big rock mags, who is this man? And they showed us the way we looked on stage, which, you know, here's me, I wouldn't shave for a week. Right. You know, and then, you know, Jim had his hair down, and, and uh, you know, we, we just, uh, it was totally different, but we did it just to be out effing outrageous. I got gotcha. you. We just felt we could do whatever we wanted. You know, and, and so, but, but we really enjoyed doing the record cover like that. I mean, it was almost like a spoof on heavy metal. When you see Jim's outfit, that literally weighed over 70 pounds. Wow. And, and uh, But he was, he's, but when we played live, it was more, well, you saw us, so you know what we look like, jeans, T-shirts, gym shoes. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Do, you, do you ever no, hear I, from Jim Gillette him. anymore? Are you in contact with oh, him? Oh, yeah, I talk to him all the time. In fact, uh, I, we texted each
3: other this morning. Yeah, we're still really close. Cool. And is he? Is he? I know he was living down in the the tropics for a while. Is he back in the states? Or yeah, he he has multiple places that he lives. But yeah, he lives outside the U.S.
2: Uh, in Florida. Um, you know, he's in Vegas now. He, he's got two sons. And, and Jim, one thing about Jim, it, it, it's uh, he was he's extreme. He was born with the with the fighting gene. And what I mean by that, he's the nicest guy in the world. I mean, he's totally cool, but he's a walking death machine, literally. I mean, even back in the day with Nitro, uh, you know, he had studied boxing, he'd studied martial arts. He's a big guy, he's super strong, and, and now he's a black belt in Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, his wow. sons are training with the Merryweathers in Vegas, wow. and, and he's got a 16-year-old son that, that can be an MMA champion. He, they've been training martial arts since they were little kids, like three, four years old. And his other younger son, Rocco, is, is like 12. He's another death machine. And and, and, I, and, uh, and they're nice kids. They're respectful, no tattoos. And, it, it, you know, it's, all, it's, it's something. But, yeah, I, I mean, I talk to Jim all the
3: time. He's cool. great. Cool. Hey, I wanted to ask you about your new, fairly new, uh, Michael Angelo Beatty's signature guitars that uh, came out this yeah. year. Could you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, I, you know, I, w- I was very reluctant
2: to do a signature model because I always felt that most guitar players, with the egos that we all have, unless your name is Les, Les Paul, nobody's going to buy your signature. So what I did was, I-, I really, I had a really good idea of what I like to play. And I also knew it doesn't mean just something I like, it's something someone else likes. So when, when I approached Dean Guitars and we talked about it, I was very adamant about not putting my name on the 12th fret or anywhere on the neck and, and on, the, on the headstock. It couldn't say my name and, and because I felt I wanted people to judge it as a guitar, not as the, the Michelangelo Badio guitar. And because so many guitar players, they'll put their initials on the 12th fret. They'll make it I I I, me me me, and it doesn't sell, even if it's a great guitar. And so we did this, and and I enlisted uh, this great graphics artist who who does a lot of work with Dean, named Stefan Jensen. He's amazing. In fact, his his artwork is on Dime's grave. He did this brilliant oh, wow. drawing of Dime, and. and uh, so, but anyway, when we did this, my signature series really took off. And, and Dean makes great guitars. I mean, the owner of Dean is a bass player. And, and now I have over 10 signature guitars. Wow. In fact, on Intermezzo, we use my new MAB7. And I love seven strings. It's not what I play all the time, but I love the sound of them, and I feel they're not going away. And, and we've had a lot of success with the signature line. One, I promote it with Clinics and two, they're just really good guitars, and they're not Mikey Eagle guitars. They're, you know, everything on the guitar has a reason for being there. It's really well made. They're, they're, they're affordable, and, and my name's not everywhere. So a lot of times, for example, Chris... Uh, from from TSO was using one of my signature guitars and he liked it he said oh he goes man it's just a great guitar and it, and it's not just promoting me it, it's the dean name is much bigger we just call it the MAB series but thanks for asking oh but, yeah bet. they're they're great I cool. you know I
3: can't say enough about them excellent how does somebody get as good as you are I mean you know it must just take hours and hours of practice correct
2: I think so. Uh, and, and, you know, because I'd love to say it's all natural talent, but I don't believe that. I think you need to possess a certain amount of talent. But, but what I did, what I tell people, the best thing that they can do is play in front of people. I, I mean, I developed my double guitar by playing in front of people. Um, Holland got signed as a band because we wrote a bunch of songs and people just really liked them. And, and then, and we were able to figure out what our best songs were by, by what people told us. And, and in my over-under technique, I mean, I love to practice. I, I have a really good work ethic. And, and I, I, I genuinely loved even just to practice and play guitar. So so I had the natural ability, but I always just loved to do it. And I always pictured myself when I was a little guy that, you know, when I was 10, 11, 12, you know, picturing myself playing on stage and traveling the world and, and really doing what I'm doing. But I, I think that, that it all came about because I've always played live. And because the audience is smarter than the artist when it comes to the artist's material. And what I mean by that is, how many times have you seen albums and, and, or CDs or whatever you know, we want to call them now, where the hit song on the records like track eight. And and if you ask most bands, like ask Rush, if they thought Tom Sawyer was going to be a hit, I mean, Giddy Lee said it was, he thought it was the worst song on the album. Wow. And, and so artists generally don't even know which songs that that are going to be the hits, Hits, but the audience knows, and the audience will tell you. So my idea has always been get out in front of people and find out what works and what doesn't. And And then when you can get a whole set of what works and... You're rocking. So but I think that's the biggest secret, just to get out and perform in front of
3: people and hone in your skills there. Cool. Good advice from from the master, Michael Angelo Badio. Thank you so much for joining us today on Talking About... Oh, thank you. It's been been great. Great questions. Thanks. Woo! What you just heard is my interview with Michelangelo Badio, former guitarist of the great band Holland, also former guitarist of the band Nitro, and he's currently got a new solo record out, so definitely go check that out. There's tons of great, great players joining him on the album, his new solo album, including Dave Reffitt, who has been on Talking Metal in the past, has been on Mars Attacks in the past, and uh, he helped coordinate this interview. So uh, thanks, Dave, for hooking that up, and it it was great to talk to Michael Angelo Badio again on Talking Metal. He was on probably back in 2006. Yeah, maybe two... Yeah, it had to be 2006. Could have been 2005. I'm not sure. My guess is it was probably 2006, the last time uh, Mike Badio was on Talking Metal. And uh, I mentioned Dave Reffitt. Dave also helped coordinate and hook up our George Lynch interview, which just got a a shitload of downloads and streams. It was uh, definitely a big episode for us. So thank you for that, Dave. And that song you heard leading into the interview featured a solo from George Lynch. Uh, So George is on Michael Angelo Badio's new record. The song you heard coming out of that interview was Lovin' on Time by the band Holland. That's going back to 1985. That Little Monsters record by Holland was a big seller in the Chicagoland area. And I don't really think it ever got much traction outside of the Chicagoland area. Uh, although I might be wrong about that. But I'm fairly certain it didn't. Um, but it, it's it's a great record. It's on iTunes. Holland from 1985. Little Monsters is the name of the record. Not to be confused with... Uh, Lady Gaga's fans, which she refers to as Little Monsters. Makes me wonder if she's ever heard the Little Monsters record by Holland. Probably not, but you never know. She does like metal and hard rock. Coming up in just a little bit, we're going to talk with a member of the band Lords of Ruin. But right now, let me get to some comments. You know, we have a Facebook page. There's an official Talking Metal Facebook page, which if you go on Talking Metal and search – or if you go on Facebook, I'm sorry, and search Talking Metal, it will come up. And uh, there's actually two pages. There's the Talking Metal page, and then there's a Talking Metal digital page. Talking Metal digital, if you don't know, is our our network it includes our Live 365 24-7 stream with great music playing, uh, most of it which is programmed and scheduled by Victor Ruiz of the Mars Attacks podcast and myself. So check that out on Live 365. Live 365 has apps so you can actually stream Talking Metal digital on your uh, iPhone, and Android phone. Listen to us live. We do a lot of these you know shows live on friday nights. And uh anyway, so yeah, that's Talking Metal Digital It includes three podcasts to Talking Metal, Talking Rock and Mars Attacks. We're talking about bringing on some more podcasts to Talking Metal Digital. But I I I just uh, I need some I need something some something a little different, a little different from what Victor and myself and John and myself are already doing with our podcasts. So I'm on I'm on the I'm on the hunt if you know of any that you think might be good I'd love to get the lawn friend podcast the energized podcast on talking metal digital but he already seems to be hooked up with some network which I believe are paying him so uh, it's unlikely we'll be getting him until we actually start making money and or a little more money until we actually start breaking even how about that Uh, But he does a great job. But just listening to Lita Ford on on one of his podcasts. And, man, it was a great interview. And you just feel like you're listening to two people hanging out, which is cool because most of these podcasts, it's, you know, including Talking Metal, for the most part, we're just, it's like... You know, more standard interviewing, actually, all the podcasts. But with Lon's podcast, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times, like with that Lita Ford interview, you get a vibe you're just listening to two friends chilling and hanging and reminiscing about the old days. And, you know, Lon talks as much about himself sometimes as he does the person he's uh, he's interviewing, which is cool with me because I've been a big fan of, of Lon and Rip Magazine and Lon's books and just everything that Lon is and was friend at large remember that from headbanger's ball yeah so i mentioned the talking metal facebook page and we had a post on the page we don't get as much you know activity on the talking metal facebook page as i'd like we we'll get some but i'm on there all the time guys so if you know that's uh, it's a good place to reach me gregory muse posted and i believe this is in response to episode probably 442 or 443 I'm not exactly sure it was the one that had cue ball on it. I think it that's 443. I need to check, but um uh, excuse me. Um Gregory Muse. Enjoyed the episode, but I do have to take issue Mark with your bashing of Peter Chris. We all know his sto- his story, but this dude is 67 years old. Cut him some slack. I wouldn't expect him to be the drummer he used to be. Hell, most of the older rockers are nowhere close to what they used to be. One more item. I would never bash your home state of New Jersey. I love the East Coast. I was born in Newport, Rhode Island. In ten days... Oh, wait. I was born? What did he say? Oh, I will be. I'm sorry. I will be in Newport, Rhode Island in ten days. I can't read, dudes. I just I got glasses, and they're in the other room, and I uh, have trouble reading. Honestly, even when I could see good, I couldn't couldn't read very well. Dyslexic is the word. Anyways, Gregory Muse uh, says, I will be in Newport, Rhode Island in 10 days, but to think that New Jersey was as important to the music scene back in the 80s as Hollywood just isn't true. I found it funny how you mentioned Metallica, who started in Hollywood and then went to San Francisco to be in a more accepted area. Uh, I do enjoy the show a lot, but you really got me going on this one. Take care, sir. Looking forward to more episodes. Thanks, Gregory. And, you know, you're right, dude. You know, New Jersey, listen, in the 80s, in, in, in the history of heavy metal, does it compare at all to to San Francisco or Los Angeles as far as how historically important it is? To To the history and to what is heavy metal, is New Jersey as important as California? No, definitely not. Um, however, if you, again, watch movies like Get Thrashed, this documentary on thrash metal, uh, read books like this book I, I um, read recently called Louder Than Hell, you will see that, that New Jersey did play an important scene. In a lot of ways, I feel more important than... New York City, or at least more important than Manhattan, you know, New York City is five boroughs, you have Staten Island, which is more of like, almost like a suburb feel to it, although it's technically New York City, you have Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, and Manhattan. Now Manhattan is is what everybody thinks of when you say New York City. It's the, the big buildings and, and you know, the museums and Times Square and And, you know, and it's a small island, Manhattan, but that's what everybody thinks of when you say New York City. That's where all the TV stations are and Madison Square Garden, you know, and the thing about it is that I've always said this about Manhattan, not necessarily as much about Brooklyn or even Queens, but Manhattan, to me, has never been a friend of heavy metal. Sure, you know, the bands go there and sell out the garden and stuff. Uh, you know, but it's, it's all people from New Jersey and Long Island that come in, not all, but a, a lot of them, you know, I really think metal was more of a like working class, uh, type of music and it wasn't, you know, the punks in New York and the hipsters and the the people, the la da you know, uh, limousine, limousine liberals as, as some of us call, I'll call them, uh, you know. It wasn't that crowd. It was more like a working class type music, and and I do believe that New Jersey encompasses that vibe more than than Manhattan does, at least. And of course, Brooklyn had Lemours, and Brooklyn was very important uh, in in metal back in the day. Uh, although it's lately kind of just seems like an extension of the hipstery. Lower East Side of Manhattan, and uh, it has its own vibe. But you know, it almost uh, it's not that anymore. It's a bunch of you know rich rich kids living there now. However, uh, you know, I do really feel that New Jersey was an important part of of the blossoming of heavy metal, with some of the the core people who helped put these. You know, let's let's face it. The guy Metallica drove, got in a van, and drove to New Jersey from. California, because that's where they were told to go, They, they, you know, where they could get funding to make this thing happen, and they lived in the New York, New Jersey area for a little while, when I say lived, like a few months or something, or if that, while they were getting set up, and and the first gig, as Victor mentioned on that podcast you're referring to uh, with with Kurt Hammett, um, was in New Jersey. But yeah, New Jersey's nowhere near as important as say uh California was to to the history of heavy metal in my opinion and you know, Victor actually brought up that whole thing about you know New Jersey being important to heavy metal, and I do think he, he was right. I, I was just reacting to to a comment that John Leone had said to me, either on or off air. I can't remember. It may have actually been off air. Kind of taking a dig at New Jersey. So that that was uh, that was what I was responding to there. You know, New Jersey is one of those states that gets uh, picked on a lot, as I think Florida is. Uh, Indiana, I noticed uh, I've gotten sensitive to a lot of people picking on that state, which it gets a lot of a lot of people picking on it uh, in in movies and in the press and stuff. Uh, not sure why, but it does. And I'm trying to think, what other states? Mississippi gets picked on a lot for being the dumbest state, and the you know I guess it's the the least intelligent people is what they say. Who knows if that's even true? But I've heard that a lot recently. Um, so I'm just sticking up for the place that I currently call home and have called home probably for you know three-fourths or at least half of my life. I lived in Manhattan for a while, and a lot of you guys know I lived in the Midwest for a while. I, I think the Midwest was crucial to heavy metal in the early 80s, too, and, and I've heard that in numerous different places, including Rudy Sarzo's book, Off the Rails. I mean, Ozzy's solo stuff really... Took hold like in those cities like Milwaukee and and Chicago, and you know even some of the Indiana cities like Fort Wayne. And he was almost more popular there than than he was in the East Coast. You know because you know the 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 snobs in New York were laughing at him and calling him a has been, but you know he he was really taking hold with the the Blizzard uh, the Blizzard of Oz album and the Diary of Mad, of a Madman album in the midwest and you saw that because they were playing bigger venues out there there were more people coming to the show and there were less people living there in general you know the new york the new york and uh, L, well I don't know I think I don't know how how big he was in LA I think he actually had a pretty decent following in LA um in the early 80s but he actually was getting more traction in the, in the Midwest, in those, you know, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, I think Minnesota too than he was in, in the East. And at least that's the vibe I got from reading Rudy Sarzo's great book off the rails. And again, it goes back to the working class in in some ways, you know, Detroit. I think he was doing well in Detroit too. Maybe I'm off base here. But yeah, L.A., man, L.A., I think, is the most important city for American heavy metal, period. And I'm not just talking about the the glam metal on the Sunset Strip in the 80s. I'm talking about, you know, Slayer was an L.A. band. As you pointed out, Metallica started in L.A., you know. They moved up to San Francisco, I believe, for two reasons. Because that's, you know, I, I don't really know if it was because the scene was more accepting up there. I know that's part of what history was what what the history books tell us now, but I the way I understand it is they went up there because Cliff Burton wouldn't relocate to, to L.A., and they already didn't love what was going on in L.A. at that point, so that was why I think they went up there, more so for Cliff Burton than anything else. So anyways, we got to talk to our friend Lauren from this great band, They are called Lords of Ruin. We're going to hear a track from them right now. This is Ghost of Finneran. Hey, this is Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, and on the line we have Lauren Boquette from Lords of Ruin. How are you, Lauren? I'm doing great, Mark. What's going down? Oh, not much. I'm glad you were able to check in with us tonight because I wanted to introduce the Talking Metal listeners to you and your band. And I got to tell you, I was uh, really impressed by some of the music that Dustin turned me on to. And I want to talk to you about some of the songs. I want to, I guess, let's let's start at the beginning. Can you fill us in on how this band came about and how you guys all got together? Well, it's
1: crazy, man. I used to be in a band called Drown, and we put out some records and did a lot of tours and did a bunch of crazy stuff. And uh, it was right around the turning of when the industry was shifting, and I kind of got over the whole major label experience and just all the things that were going on. So I gave birth to a new band with a buddy of mine, and we called the band Six. Well, Six went out and put, we released three albums independently, did tons of tours right on the road with Gwar, Clutch, Drowning Pool, did a bunch of shows with Slipknot. We were really lucky to do a lot of stuff. Well, as we were touring under the name Six, that name became really, really hard to find on the internet. The entire world was finding music on the internet. So we decided to change the name. Well, right around the time I was changing the name of the band, we were offered a show supporting corn in their hometown of Bakersfield, California. Cool. Well, we decided okay, let's launch the new name, launch the, you know, the whole new thing based on that show, it'd be a perfect opportunity. And at that point, the guy that I started the band with was offered a job with Clutch to work full-time around the world. So, it kind of gave it a chance for the band to kind of morph into a whole new a whole new band as opposed to, like, a name change, you know? Because he and I started the band, he and I wrote all the music, and he and I did everything. So when we changed the name, um, and he was no longer involved, it made more sense to me to sort of evolve, to let the whole thing evolve into a brand-new project. So Lords of Ruin was born about two and a half years ago. We released a bunch of music just through our website, and about a year and a half later, released an EP through our website, and now have released the Life Is a War EP, um, and we're like putting it out to the world and actually getting press and doing this whole side of things with it. But totally independent, um, all for the love of just creating something new. Because I'm just so sick of hearing all these bands that sound the same.
3: Right. Yeah. And and you so that's got sort
1: of the story in a nutshell as where it came from. It wasn't just hey, you know, we're five guys we're gonna make a band and go play some shows. It evolved out of another band that we toured our asses off around America and, um, you know, when it was time for a name change, it actually created an opportunity to, uh, to build a whole brand new band, which has been awesome. It was like a blessing in disguise.
3: Cool. And who are the actual other members of the band? Could you just run down who they are?
1: Uh, my buddy Travis Dunn is a rhythm guitar player who also used to play in the old band 6 off and on whenever we needed another guitar player. Um, my buddy Jimmy Craig is playing lead guitar. He also has another band called Motor Gun Hotel that before we met up, he was out on tour with Green Jelly or Green Jello, whatever the heck they call that right. band now. Um, so he had his other band that toured all over before we met up. But his name is Jimmy Craig. My bass name is Chico Tovar, who is an old friend of mine from just the SoCal music scene. And then we recently added a, a guy by the name of Paco Marley who was a sick drummer out of Mexico City, Mexico, who uh, has just been playing around a bunch of different bands in L.A., and we got him on board as our drummer. So it's been it's been an amazing evolution.
3: Cool. Now, uh, the first song I heard by you guys just really blew me away, and it was called Ghost of Finnerman. and
1: Ghost of Finnerman. Yeah.
3: yeah. The, I mean, just... I know that that song, now that song is not on the most recent EP, right?
1: No, our new EP is called Life is a War, and we wrote and recorded Ghost of Finneran after Life is a War was released.
3: Oh, okay. So it's even...
1: based it on a true story. My wife and I were in a bar in Huntington Beach, California, and I saw the ghost of, of a friend of mine who was one of the greatest songwriters I've ever known in my entire life, a guy by the name of Gary Finneran. And Gary Finnerman decided to take his own life a few years ago. And um, his music, through all of our friends that loved him and his music, he was, he was the sickest songwriter that the world ever discovered. He was like a Tom Petty of our generation. Just incredible, incredible songwriter. And, um, you know, battled his own demons for a long time and ended up clocking out by his own choice. And um, my wife and I were out enjoying the day, and I saw his ghost in this bar. Wow. And I went into the, uh, the bathroom of the bar and I started singing the song into my phone and I recorded the rough draft of what became the song um, that is now currently released probably, I don't know, two years ago, a year and a half ago?
3: Yeah, I mean, this song, I watched it on, on a YouTube thing where you actually had the lyrics come up along yeah, with it. A friend it. of
1: ours made that, actually. A friend of ours, who was also a friend of his, sent that video to me one day and said, uh, I hope this helps.
3: Yeah, well, it did because, you know, it allowed me to, to see the actual words uh, and lyrics and it was, you know, it, it all made sense because the words and lyrics of, the, of, of that song are very simple and you're describing him as this guy who kind of wrote simple but great music and I got to tell you, it was really it was haunting. Incredible. Yeah, when I when I saw and heard the song, I, the the hairs on my arm stood up. That's which mean, it must mean it's a really powerful song. So, uh, great job on on that one. And uh, you know, I I just uh, that's the first thing that really turned me on to you guys.
1: Well, you know what, man, I appreciate that because that song was written about as innocent as it could have been. You know, literally, we're out. I saw his ghost. I sang a bunch of ideas into my phone. Um, about a year, year and a half after that happened, we were out at a buddy of mine's studio in the middle of the desert here in California. His name is uh, Ronnie King. He's a producer. He worked with Tupac and Mariah Carey. And wow. his, the list of stuff that he's done is incredible. He plays keyboards with Rancid, Pennywise. mean, he's done all kinds of crazy stuff. But he has a studio out in the middle of the desert. And, uh, he invited us out there to create some music. And here's where it gets even weirder was we were out there working on music, just rough ideas, and as we came up with the the instrument the instrumentation of the song idea that I had, and we're writing and recording to come up with all these ideas, we're all drinking and just having a great time, um, an alert came on on my phone, and I shit you not, this is an absolute fact, I did not know that was the anniversary of his death, Wow! and the alert on my phone came on and said, R.I.P. Gary Finneran and it was the exact same night really? that we wow. were working on, on the music for this song. Wow. How that happened, I, I'll never know, but it was incredible. I showed it to all the guys, and our minds were blown. Like, how the fuck did this just happen?
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: So whatever goes on in the universe that puts good energy in the right direction happened that night. The, the song was born. Um, not just the vocal ideas, but the music was all born. Everything came to life. We did a rough demo out there. Um, and then we just decided three or four months later just just to re-record it so it sounded that much better. And the version that now is available on iTunes, available through our website, was the version that we decided was the final one. But the rough recording ideas were developed on the the exact same day that he killed himself, which was gnarly.
3: Yeah, wow, heavy stuff.
1: It was crazy, man. It really was crazy. I, I, I couldn't even believe what had happened.
3: Well, it's a great but it's a great song, and we're gonna play what
1: you feel in the song. You know, There's, yeah, you can't get any more real than that.
3: Totally, totally. The EP is called "Life Is a War." That song is not on the EP. Uh, will there be a, maybe a full length coming at some point that will include that? You know, that song and maybe some of the songs, if not all of the songs, on the EP.
0: I don't know
1: if we'll re-record the because I believe in just continuing to create, but there will definitely be a full length record. Uh, we had talked about making the music that became the Life is a War EP into a full length. But the minute we had the first five songs done, we kind of just knew these five were one body of work and we were ready to release something else. Because prior to the Life is a War EP, we released an EP called Dehive. And before that, we released 10 songs as our debut which you can get on iTunes and through our website, lordsofruin.com. So all this music was kind of building up to that point. So we finished five songs. We knew that was one body of work. And then after that, we just kept writing, recording more. Ghost of to Finnerin, came after that. Uh, there's another new song we finished called The Darker Side of Life that will be released soon. You know, it's kind of the beauty of where things are right now, where you can write, record, produce music and release it. And if people dig it, they can get it right away. You don't got to wait for some giant record company to decide when your music can be released. So yeah. our goal is to continue to put out music, and yes, a full-length record is in the works.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm psyched that there's a full-length coming, but it's it's also interesting because in these these times, you almost don't need a full-length record. It's kind of like along the lines of what you were saying. You can just put the stuff out there.
1: Yeah, well, you know what? I, I heard an in interview with... Uh, Pepper Keenan from and Conformity and down, and he had mentioned how um, they just—they're at a point where they just can put out music whenever they feel like it. And I kind of embraced that concept: was if you write something and you record it, and it sounds great, and you're excited about it. Why wait? Why not just announce that it's available and let people dig it? You know, why bother waiting? You not know, in the past, I've you know I've been with record companies, and I you know I learned about release dates and how you gotta wait for this and wait for that. And, you know, wait for some board meeting and wait for some managers and some people to figure out what they think is the right plan. In the meantime, you got this music that's done. You know, you used to have bands that would sit on their album for a year or two before it would come out. Like, fuck that. If it's done and it sounds great and you're ready for the public to check it out, let people check it out.
3: Cool, right on. So
1: That's just how we feel about it. But I also do love the idea of One Body of Work being a full record. I do... I don't want to live in a world where I'm just getting a three, four-minute snippet of my favorite bands all the time. That's kind of lame, too.
3: Right, I hear you. Totally. As an independent band, how hard is it for you guys to get out and uh, tour the country?
1: As Lords of Ruin, we have yet to launch a full tour. We've done a bunch of dates around SoCal. But the touring industry has changed so much that when we, you know, what we learned when my band was called Six was that if you're not part of a good package tour or even out with a band that is somewhat known in other markets, that because most promoters these days are lazy and people don't support bands the way they used to because they don't either hear them on the radio or whatever happens in their town. Every town operates operate different. But or it might, might just be the cost of living. You know, People aren't spending as much money going to shows that – you almost gotta be a part of something special for people to come out and do it. And I think people are bombarded so much by entertainment that you don't even really know what stands out or not. So when there's a good package tour, there's an excitement around it and people can go enjoy, enjoy that. So I'd much rather get us involved in something something special that happens in everybody's town as opposed to us slugging. It and hoping that promoters do their job because promoters don't really do their job.
3: So do you have any package tour in mind?
1: There's a few bands that we're talking to, but we're all kind of in the same boat. We're just waiting for the right time and the right situation that makes sense. I mean, I I come from a world of get in the van and go tour, you know, the black flag mentality of just go out and do it, and I've done it for most of my life. But the way the touring industry has changed in the last few years, I'm trying to be a little bit more sensible because nothing is worse than going through a town and then getting an email from someone saying, man, I live in, you know, middle of nowhere, Iowa. I wish you guys would come through. And you tell them, man, we were just there last week. Yeah. But because the promoter in that town didn't do a good job promoting it, a lot of people that would want to come out and experience a live show didn't, weren't even aware that it happened. Hmm. And those things happen more frequently than you realize.
3: Wow. wow. All right, well, where is the best place for the Talking Metal listeners to get in touch with you guys online?
1: Definitely lordsofrulin.com. And, you know, we have the usual Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff, and there's links to all that from our website. But our website is the main hub where you can listen to music, you can buy music, you can link up with all our social media. There's a link to anything you can ever need at com. Plus, you can contact uh, contact us directly.
3: Awesome. Cool. Well, we will link that website through today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com. And what song off of Life is War would you like to play for the Talking Metal listeners?
1: Well, so far since EP's came out, there's a song called Welcome to the Last Time that seems to be getting getting people turned on. So why don't we go with that one? It's about reaching a point with... uh, with people where you kind of need to cut them out of your life and say goodbye forever. And um, we've all gone through things like that in our lives. And that song seems to resonate with a lot of people, and I've done a lot of radio interviews where that's the song that people are playing. So we might as well uh, keep it going and let people check out Welcome to the Last Time.
3: Cool. Excellent. Let's check it out. just heard was a little lords of ruin here on the talking metal podcast thanks so much for joining us guys we would love to have you give us a paypal donation on our site it's talkingmetal.com check out the show notes as always we have links and stuff up in the show notes use our amazon links to open up your amazon and uh, go make your amazon purchases that way it's a simple just in a simple additional step. It doesn't end up costing you any more money or anything like that. You just go to our show notes for today's episode, open them up. You'll see at the bottom of the show notes some links that'll, that'll just basically link you from our site over to Amazon. Then you search your product, you buy it. We get a small percentage back on that. It's like free money, uh, and it helps uh, keep Talking Metal going. So definitely do that. Support our other podcasts, Mars Attacks, and Talking Rock, I haven't done anything with Talking Rock in the last couple weeks. Hope to get something up there uh, soon with that for you guys. And I want to end today's episode with a little Volbeat. We had a Talking Metal donation come in from a guy named Steve. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate you supporting what we do here on Talking Metal. And he wants to hear the Hangman's Body Count by Volbeat so let's end with that today again thanks Steve for your uh, your support we appreciate it and if you guys make a, a donation to Talking Metal you you of course do get a request so we're gonna go out with a little sound sample here that's aka I'm not playing the full song of Volbeat the hangman's body count